You're listening to episode one of the audiobook slash podcast project, Dream Realm. Voiced, written, and produced by me, Matt Rebar. Prologue. Jordan Furman flips her glass upside down and placed it close to the edge of the bar to signal to the bartender that she needed another drink. If she was done for the night, Jordan would leave the empty glass within her nearby domain and would stare at the glass in the tipsy mannerism where it appeared she was trying to telepathically communicate with the glass. But instead, she needed at least one more drink to hit the minimum buzz needed for tonight's dud of a night to feel more acceptable. Jordan was in a bar called Yesterday. Whether it was called Yesterday because of the 2010's paraphernalia on the wall or because most people drink themselves into tomorrow's hangover was up for grabs. Additionally, up for grabs were photos of iconic 2010 moments. The 2010 standard of neon light blue and light pink splash lights, the modern yet rustic architecture, the tight-knit tables and the large bar and the bathrooms which were both labeled with, it's the 21st century, just use a bathroom, man. The music was also stuck between 2010 and 2019, although the current song, Bad Romance by Lady Gaga, was technically from 2009. Same drink? Joshua, the bartender, asked. He was presented as he had always been over the last few years, a tall, dark-haired glass of water with muscles that contained not even a single gram of fat. He usually wore sleeveless shirts and vests as to show off his tattoo sleeve, which was covering his right arm. Among the tattoos included a marble bust of Orpheus, the legendary Greek musician, an oxen, a landscape photo of Lincoln, Michigan, a mechanical heart, and a dagger with the words Long Live Fate tattooed on the blade. Of course, Jordan nodded. If it's broken, don't fix it. Just wanted to make sure the one time I assume isn't the time when you want a vodka cranberry or something. Please, that's not going to happen. Jordan snorted while Joshua grabbed her empty glass with his left hand. While his right arm and shoulder could tell a plethora of stories, there was only one tattoo on his left arm, which sat about two inches above his wrist. The lone tattoo was of two rectangles, each cut in half with the halfway line sticking out of the rectangle's perimeter. The inner halves of the rectangles were colored in pure black, while the halves facing nothing but flesh were left with no fill-in but for Joshua's bronze skin. You know, Jordan, people change. Joshua shrugged with a wink before walking back to the bar to whip her up a drink. Jordan's friends had all been in yesterday earlier, but had to get going due to lame excuses. I really need to sleep. I need to wake up, especially earlier, so I can work out. My kids are crying. I gotta go check up on them. Then again, in this friend group, which really only met at yesterday's and a few other places in West Coast, Jordan was the only single motherless one. The five had grown up together in the suburbs of East Oakland, and after all these years, they still managed to hang out together, even if it was just somewhere like yesterday's. Joshua returned with a filled glass and placed it in front of her. So, what are you waiting for? Joshua asked, eyeing her with a smile. His scruff was truly adorable, although he was so off-limits, it wasn't even funny. I don't know, Jordan shrugged, looking around the bar. There was still a lot of people in the bar, although she didn't recognize any of them. I suppose anything could happen. We truly are in the one place where anything could happen. Joshua left Jordan alone with her drink and moved down the bar to take care of a few more orders. She sipped the cocktail, an amaretto cherry drink where the almonds, cherry, and cream came together to form the most refreshing cocktail she'd ever had. Joshua had made it for her years ago, and she'd fallen in love with the potion. 
She'd switch it up occasionally, but when the glass got placed upside down with no explanation, well, Joshua knew what to concoct. As if someone was testing her, a man sat down in the bar seat right next to hers. He didn't appear to have done it just so he could talk with her. Instead, his credit card was out on the bar to signal that he wanted a drink. What's your poison? Jordan asked with a hum. The man turned to her, looking a little embarrassed as if she was his mother watching him masturbate. Uh, I, uh, I get a Bud Light usually. Really? How old are you? Nineteen? The man laughed, although as far as Jordan could tell, he might have been that young. He appeared to have been at least 25, although his lack of confidence and social intelligence had an adolescent wisp. I guess I'm a simple man, the guy said with a chuckle. He wasn't as edgy as Joshua the bartender, but there was a homebody factor to him that was kind of adorable. And Jordan was left wondering, why the hell not, and decided to shoot. Well, I like the sound of a simple man. Jordan cooed over her drink, making sure to properly stick out her tongue against the glass. As long as you're complex in other ways. Depends. Where are you from? New York. The city or the state? The state. Are you from, like, Albany or some grody place like that? Rochester. <laughs> Perhaps that's even worse. Hey, we got a few gems up there. And the Queen of England snacks on dollar store brand crisps. He snickered at her sarcasm, his bravado meaning a warm temperature. So where are you from if you're all high and mighty? Cardonia. Oh, Northern California. I guess Rochester couldn't compare. Why don't you speak that louder for people in the back? The man laughed as Joshua rounded the corner of the bar. I'll take a Bud Light and uh, two rum shots. Shots? Jordan asked, as if she wasn't familiar with the concept. Are you getting me a shot right now? No, I was going to get one with the bartender. Oh, well, <laughs> if you're gay, that's fine. I don't think Joshua really cares much about whether, you know, what he's fucking, but you'd have to double check with him. Joshua heard the comment and gave Jordan a, is that so, stare. The Rochester man looked a bit flustered, his sexuality having been subjected to speculation by a beautiful woman at the bar. I, I'm not gay, I just don't really have good interactions with women usually. Why is that? Mommy issues or girlfriend issues or feeling a little nervous or something? I don't know, I guess experience. Well, yesterday is the best place to practice because out there in the real world, well, it could be worse for you than in here. Jordan joked. So let's hear your pitch. My pitch? Yeah, like pretend you're coming to the bar and you're going to hit on me. So like we're going to start over. Come on now. Jordan laughed, her bubbly feminine laugh breaking over her creamy Amarato cocktail. Start over. Right here. Right now. Joshua returned with the two rum shots and a sad looking bottle of Bud Light while Rochester started over. Rochester took a large sigh as if he was about to jump off a building and then... His eyes closed, his nose twitched for a second before he jumped into his pitch. Hi, my name's Evan. I'm bored. Jordan sighed with a fake yawn, which actually became real. Honestly, hit, hit me up with a liner or something. It'll probably be much better than, hi, my name is Evan. Her rendition of, hi, my name was Evan, involved a squeaky voice, and Evan looked a tad embarrassed, while Joshua the bartender's smile was a thin line with the curvous tilt at the edge of his lips. Evan coughed and immediately began again. I got this extra shot here. 
Would you like to toast with me? What are we toasting? She inquired, her eyes bubbly and bright in the aqua pink backdrop which traipsed the entire bar. For a second, an emergency siren seemed to go off in Evan's brain as he racked up an excuse. For a chance encounter with a beautiful lady, Evan responded, a little hurriedly but rather confidently. I'll always drink to that. Jordan grabbed the shot of rum and lifted it. You do make for a beautiful lady. Joshua choked back a laugh and moved down the bar while Evan and Jordan shared their rum shots. For some reason, the hard liquor didn't burn too much, and Jordan followed it up with a sip of her cocktail. So what do you do? Evan asked, his mouth burning a bit from the shot as he sipped the Bud Light. I'm a lawyer, more specifically a prosecutor, Jordan explained. Holy fuck, that makes so much sense now. Why, because I was grilling you? Yeah, you seem to have everything under control. If only you knew my life, I was usually a victim of circumstances beyond my control. What does that mean? <laughs> Don't worry about it. All of it's a long story in the night. Well, it grows old. Come on, it's not that short of a night. <sighs> well, you must be so young that you get to sleep in. Yeah. Well, then forget about it. Jordan said with a welcoming smile. So what do you do? I'm a college student. Ah, you're young. I mean, I carry myself a bit older. What are you studying? Biology. And you want to become a doctor of some kind. I have a little bit of time to figure it out. Wow, you really are young. You act like you're so old compared to me. I'm 33. Well, you don't look like it. Does anyone in here look like they're the age they're supposed to be? Jordan asked. I don't know, I haven't been on here long. Exactly. Jordan smiled softly, feeling a bit sorry for breaking the boy's spirit. You know, there's a lot of fun things you can do. Such as... Minutes later, Jordan had grabbed Evan into the back alley behind yesterday. The alleyway was filled with trash, but the only smell back here was that of the bar's kitchen's gastropub cuisine wafting through the vents. The night sky was littered with stars, the moon waxing in the nearby distance while the other clubs and bars upon the strip thudded with bass music slamming against the walls. The two made out with Jordan taking the lead. She could tell that he was a little underexperienced, although that final cocktail with the additional shot caused her to look past Evan's weaknesses. She needed this. Tomorrow was going to be a stressful day at the Cardonia Courthouse. Fuck me right here, Jordan whispered, her throat tight with desire. Just stick it in me. Out here? Evan seemed unsure as he looked up and down the abandoned alley. But, please, nobody's going to care. Jordan, fine. Jordan grabbed Evan's hand as they left the alleyway and arrived on the strip. Yesterday's neon entrance glistened a goodbye to her as she took Evan to the large hotel a couple blocks down. The hotel, the West Coast Hotel, wasn't too tall, yet it could host hundreds. Where the space came from was a different question, although Jordan managed to finagle a hotel room key before taking Evan to the third floor. Do you do this to all the guys you're with? Evan asked with a bit of humor in his tone. Jordan laughed before responding. <laughs> all the men usually keep up with me. She shrugged coolly. So let that sink in. Evan gulped, feeling the need to keep up with her as the elevator opened up to the third floor. One could hear the parties coming from the hotel rooms as couples and orgies allowed their sexual fantasies to come true within the white walls and sheets of the West Coast Hotel. Drinks poured onto the rocks. Drugs were laid out onto tables and into the pipes and bloodstreams. 
Ritualistic chants, discussions of life, and sexual experimentation bounced off the walls of the bedrooms, bathrooms, and even spilling into the balconies, which were large enough for a fuck. The banisters made with twisted obsidian metal. Jordan opened the door and next opened the mini-fridge and pulled out a small bottle of vodka. She chugged half the bottle, the burn barely hitting her throat at this point of the night. I feel a little uncomfortable, Evan admitted while sitting on the hotel bed with no inclination to toss the sheets aside for sex. I don't know why I am, maybe it's just the hotel element to all this. Well, we could have stayed in the alleyway, you know, you're allowed to do that here. I get it. It's just not something I would think I would ever do, like, in general. You have a lot to learn, Evan. Jordan laughed as she tossed him the small bottle of vodka. There's only a few limitations here in the West Coast. She kissed his neck before allowing her fingers to roll across his chest like a farmer's tractor across the great American plains. Her cool touch might have calmed him down and instructed the heat to return. Minutes later, their clothes were strewn to the four-point corners of the room, and she was raw-dogging him with a ride that was causing his eyes to roll on the back of his head. Jordan didn't do this often, even though Evan had implied she did. In reality, she was more of a workaholic who didn't have time to work on her relationships. She didn't really get the chance to go out and have fun, and in some ways, she had missed the period of a time where a night like this was deemed acceptable for a woman. She was 33 after all. There was pressure on her to settle down, but Jordan didn't want to settle down. She still wanted the semi-romantic one-night stands and the strings of meeting people casually. Had there not been problems with him, she probably would be with him tonight and not this Evan kid. This current fuck could have just been revenge, but Jordan didn't want to think about it. Instead, they continued for a while until she had managed a half-orgasm while Evan finished in full exhaust. She rolled over and turned to an alarm clock, which was blinking the hour four o'clock back at her. Thinking about what you have to do today? Evan asked. Yep. Jordan sighed. That's a doozy. You still got some of the night, I imagine. Eh, I might just go play video games or something. That's the spirit. Jordan awkwardly replied, and neither of them spoke for a second. Are, are we going to do this again, Jordan? Maybe. I don't know. So that's a no. Well, what's the chance of us being together in the same bar, in the same world? Jordan sighed, turning and looking at him in the eye. After all, this is just a dream. In the distance, she could actually hear the alarm clock, and she turned besides herself. The alarm clock in room 312 of the West Coast Hotel was not the alarm clock going off. Shoot, my alarm... Jordan said to Evan before everything went dark for a second. Her eyes opened to reveal the small trickle of sunlight coming through her bedroom window. Jordan hit the alarm clock, which in reality was coming from a phone application, before grabbing the dream mask from her head. The gel-like mask covered most of her head, but it only took her a couple seconds to strip off. She ran a hand through her honey-brown medium-cut hair and stepped out of bed. She placed the dream mask into the charger and went to shower before work. Part 1. Reality Meets Fantasy Chapter 1. Downtown Cardonia was pretty cut and dry. 
The government buildings were all featured, for the most part, in a giant square with a park in the middle of the buildings. A simple square of traffic moved around the buildings, while underneath the park in the federal buildings was a parking garage for those who worked for the government. The public, meanwhile, could deal with the hellish prices of public and private parking around the area as nearby corporate skyscrapers pierced the sky and the urban downtown apartment living complexes each battled each other to stand out from the competition. Hey, Devante. Jordan said with a crisp smile. Morning, Jordan. Devante responded with a smile as well. Devante was the attendant for the government employee lot and was usually the first person which Jordan spoke with every morning. Devante had been working at that lot for two years while getting his bachelor's degree at Cardonia University in physics. She pulled further into the lot and crossed the lot to the general area where she could access the Cardonia Justice Center, which was the building where her office and work took place. She managed to park pretty close because she had arrived a little earlier than she normally did, and she headed up to the security guard who worked 8 to 5 on the weekdays, Lyle Gregory. Morning, Jordan. How are you? Lyle asked. Hope you're not too stressed out about tomorrow. It'll be okay, Jordan shrugged as she placed her employee identification to the doorway sensor for entry. It's just another murder case. I've done plenty of those. True, but this case... You know what? I'm in a hurry today, love. We'll talk more soon. Jordan cried out as she went through the open door. From here, she'd enter a small lobby where the staff elevators would give her access to the floors of the building. On the other side of the three staff elevators were six public elevators. The public would use these elevators to reach the parole offices, the prosecutor offices, and the courtrooms as well. She entered the elevator, which would take her to the 10th floor, which was where the prosecutor's offices were located. The public attorneys were on the 9th floor, and there was a running joke that the prosecutors were better, and thus a floor above. Rarely did the prosecutors receive random visitors. Most of the people who flooded the Cardonia Justice Center were reporting to court for tickets and misdemeanors. Those involved in felonies were usually in the Cardonia Jail, which was connected via underground tunnel to the Cardonia Justice Center, which featured its own elevator as well. The Cardonia Justice Center relied on elevators compared to most of the federal buildings. Jordan stepped out of the staff elevator and walked into the offices of the floor. The staff lobby was parallel to the public lobby. The one entry to both was a large secretary desk, which featured Teresa Jones Maynor, also nicknamed by the prosecutors as St. Teresa. She had been with the department since the tower was built back in 2031. How's the day going for you? Jordan asked with a slight smile as Teresa clicked her teeth in response. January isn't here yet, and she has two people to see her, and one of Cornell's witnesses is here, and she doesn't look too happy. Nothing too crazy for me right now, I hope. Nope, you go to your office and you finish the touches on your case tomorrow. Teresa smiled coolly. Do you have a court appearance today? Two, actually. Both misdemeanors and neither should take more than 15 minutes. Ah, then your day is practically wide open. The staff elevator rang open and in walked January Fisher. Speak of the devil, Teresa crisply stated as January raised an eyebrow from Teresa's casual devil dropping. Thank goodness you're here. Both Timothy Dean and Victoria here demanded to see you. I came as soon as I could, January sighed as she leaned over and gave Jordan a half hug. Who got here first? Timothy Dean. Then I'll take him right now. January looked over at Timothy Dean before continuing. Timothy, let's go have a talk in my office. Are you all good? Jordan asked January, the latter nodding with vigorousness which caused her bouncy dark red curls to shake with intensity. I'll let both of them out of here in less than 20, January promised. Similar to Jordan, 
January was in her early 30s. Both girls got along very well, even though most people tried to turn them into rivals, considering they were two top-performing female members of the staff for the last seven years. In fact, both had three wins in the Best Female Prosecutor category at the department's yearly awards. They hung out occasionally outside of work and consulted each other's cases. You should go work on your prep for tomorrow. I will, I will, Jordan sighed. I got two pleats at 10 and 10.30. I have plenty of time today. Timothy Dean hooked around the desk and arrived next to January. Okay, Timothy Dean, what did we need you to come here for? January asked as Timothy began to spill his reason for coming. January and Timothy headed east to her office while Jordan continued north. She passed a few colleagues who had also arrived at the courthouse at 7.45 in the morning before turning on the lights to her own office. Her view faced the park in the western half of Cardonia. Not too far away was the northern California coast, which beckoned for surf and enjoyment as the Pacific Ocean waves crashed calmly to shore. With a blossoming 50 million within the state of California, Cardonia has become one of the major cities to be built to house the increasing population. Situated in the north, Cardonia quickly became a destination for those who wanted to move to California but not deal with the heavy clusters of LA, San Francisco, San Diego, or San Jose. Although Cardonia is not exactly on par with those three, the city has quickly matched Sacramento and has overtaken Eureka as the most populated northern city in California. It was a great location for those who wanted West Coast living without the bells and whistles of the almost unbearable heavy urban cities of the South. Jordan's office was moderately decorated, mostly covered with her books from law school. She had attended the University of California Berkeley School of Law, one of the top schools in the country. She had graduated in the top 10% of her class. Her diploma and a couple of knickknacks from Berkeley sat on the shelves while a framed picture of her family sat on her desk. Otherwise, the desk was covered in papers and the random desk needs of pens, a stapler, a three-hole punch, and tape. There was a cabinet with a desk-like attachment underneath it, upon which was a printer which was almost always running. There was not much personality to the office because Jordan did not want her witnesses or visitors to get to know her as a person. She was not there to be a friend. She was there to be a prosecutor. Most of the other people within the office did the same thing. Once people got to know you, the harder it was separating the job from the law. Besides, not much could compare with the gorgeous ocean view to her right-hand side. She checked her email for a while, reading through a couple CC'd pieces and responding to the occasional direct delivery. She cracked open her folder and got to work reading through her notes when someone knocked on her open door. That took a little bit longer than I wanted. January Fisher sighed, as if she had not gotten rid of two people within 20 minutes. It's pretty incredible that you already kicked out two people. What do they want? The same thing people always want. They don't want to be in trouble with anyone. But the truth is that we're always going to be in trouble with someone. It might not be with me, but if they snitch on their friends, their family, their lovers, then there's a problem. Well, it's save your own ass or go to jail sometimes. Jordan smiled. True that. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. I don't get why people keep asking me how I'm feeling. Because you're trying the murder case of a century tomorrow. Not a century. Fine, of a half decade. January smiled, low-key flirting with her. Jordan was aware that January was into girls, but Jordan was into guys. Perhaps in the dream realm, Jordan might consider having sex with January, although the reality of the sex between herself and January seemed quite unattractive, but this was all theory. Jordan abided by ethics too strongly to sleep with a colleague in the real world or in the dream realm. I'll be fine, Jordan shrugged. 
there's so much evidence against him. The only thing I'm worried about is the whole fact that the defense might go with the whole bias against my client bullshit. Sometimes a jury can be dumb enough to fall for that. <sighs> Juries are the worst part of the whole process, but like you said, you got plenty of evidence. January winked. Did you have fun last night? I saw that you were active on my home screen, but you were in West Coast. Yeah, I met up with some grade school friends, but they all quit early on me, so instead I hooked up with some guy. Oh, details. It was a sex, but I like to think it was only eh, because it was a dream. Like, in real life, I think it would have been terrible. Was he hot? I mean, I guess, but his personality kind of wrecked the mood, Jordan confessed honestly. I think he was all new to this. Oh, he probably took his dream realm virginity. Dear God, you're probably right. Well, that was your night. Ended up in a foursome with three hot chicks, and <sighs> January smiled with a devious grin. I was in 1970s Urbana, where all the girls wear floral crowns and bell-bottom jeans. So many of the people there were actually, like, alive in that time period, or practically alive then. So I probably ate out a 90-year-old woman last night, but they were all hot, so. Look at you go, Jordan chuckled. Half the time I'm on there, I end up having sex. Because it's a dream, so in a way, it didn't even happen. January's phone chirped, and she pulled it out to read an email. With a large sigh, January put the phone away. I'm already on deck in the courtroom. I'll see you later. With a pivot turn of crimson, January Fisher had left the floor. Jordan returned to her case papers and began rereading her work, the clock on her desk counting down the time to her own appearance in court. Chapter 2 it was 9.47 when Jordan arrived for court on the 13th floor of the building. Misdemeanors were handled on the 12th and 13th floor. Felonies were handled on the 14th and 15th floor, while miscellaneous and special courts were handled on the 16th and 17th. Parking tickets and all that jazz were actually handled on the 11th floor in special miniature courtrooms. Each floor had four courtrooms, four judges' chambers, office space, and a main corridor, which acted like a partial waiting room for all those who had trial in one of the four courtrooms. On the parking floor, aka the 11th, there was actually eight miniature courtrooms. Jordan's court case, scheduled for tomorrow, would be taking place on the 17th floor. But today, her misdemeanors were actually happening in courtroom 13C and 13B, practically back to back. Jordan checked her phone once more before entering 13C, which was already in the thicket of assault. 13C was Judge Rehnquist's courtroom. He was a stubborn man with a rather archaic approach to law. He was the kind of man who jokingly suggests cutting off a man's hand for stealing, although you knew there was a part of him which wasn't kidding. Judge Rehnquist was a large white man, perhaps only guilty himself of exerting his white privilege and occasionally cheating on his wife with a cheap trick named Jill. But interestingly enough, Rehnquist continued to win re-election, one of their rare center conservatives within the building. After all, California was more blue than a man promised sex and subsequently denied. I fail to see how your intoxication is the only reason you're violent, Rehnquist muttered to the young Latino in front of him. Are you telling me you've exerted no violence before? The only violence comes with your drinking. I would say so, sir. The young Latino nodded, looking confident in his answer. Well, then maybe you should stop drinking. Rehnquist laughed and a spatter of people provided a light chuckle, including the court filer and the bailiff. The stenographer was busy clacking away on shorthand to laugh, while the courtroom's depressing body of defendants wasn't going to feed into Rehnquist's ego. Most were silent in Rehnquist's courtroom, although laughing at his jokes was welcome at any time. I have not had a drink since my last arrest, sir, 
Well, you do seem apologetic, and considering you spent a weekend in jail and the other individual involved doesn't care to press charges, I say we put you on parole for six months. Slap some AA meetings on there, let's say two a week, and the occasional urine test to keep you alcohol-free. You're probably not an alcoholic. This will just be your punishment, okay? Jordan had never seen Reinquest go so easy on a defendant, although the feeling did not last long. The young Latino was replaced by a black man who did not appear sorry for his own charge of shoplifting, a convenience store. There is no regret in your eyes. Judge Reinquist vilely spat in the direction of the black man, whose public attorney looked rather on edge. I can tell that your state-provided attorney, Mr. Dunglas, has suggested many times to appear apologetic, but you haven't even pretended to care about your crimes. I wonder what I respect more. A man trying to appear as if he cared, or a man who truthfully did not care at all. I did what I had to do, the man shrugged, minimizing his situation. Well, then I'll do what I have to do. Judge Reinquist threw the words back in the man's face. Two years in prison. Next case. The man was pushed back into the behind-the-scenes area of the courtroom as he was taken back to the jail across the street. In this procedure, he would be taken to Cardonia County Jail and potentially be transferred from there. Since he was serving less than three years, he did not qualify for the federal government's New Age prison in the Midwest. The People versus Rachel Harlow. The bailiff ordered the case Jordan was here for. Judge Reinquist looked at Jordan with a nod. Prosecutor Furman, how are you? Reinquist asked. I'm excellent, Your Honor. Jordan responded, while Rachel Harlow and her public attorney, Sherwin Aslew, made their way to the defense podium. We have made a compromise, Your Honor. The defendant has decided to plead guilty to the charge of public indecency for a $300 fine and weekly counseling for the next three months paid out of her own means. And does the defendant agree to this compromise? Reinquist turned over to Rachel and Sherwin. Both ladies nodded, and Rachel said yes softly into the microphone. Well, this case was rather cut and dry, Reinquist admitted. Miss Herlow, you cannot just expose yourself the way you did on the public street at the time you did. You're lucky that you accepted the ticket peacefully from Officer Richards and that you you admit your wrongdoing. So I agree with this compromise, and the sentence stands at $300 fine plus court fees to be paid at leisure and weekly counseling. Case adjourned. Thank you, Your Honor. Jordan nodded, turning away from the podium and walking past all the saddened faces of the courtroom. She exited the courtroom and immediately checked her phone. She answered a few texts and emails while waiting outside 13B for her 10.30 a court appearance. Before she entered the courtroom, she was approached by investigator Elias DeAngelis. Hey, St. Teresa told me I could find you here. Damn, she's too good at her job. Jordan whistled softly while one of the court bailiffs eyed Jordan for whistling outside of a courtroom. What do you need? I have some information for you. Elias handed Jordan a document within a manila folder. Check it out when you're back in the office. I think you'll find it worth the wait. Is this for tomorrow? Yep, Elias nodded. I meant to get it to you earlier, but I got called in for a murder today. Oh, what's the scene? That's a weird case, Elias explained, even though Jordan was only half paying attention. It was a young girl, 22, in her own apartment. She lived alone, had no boyfriend, nor did it appear that anybody in her circle had a motive to kill her. She was choked out, but the person either wore gloves or washed her skin or I don't know, something. There's no fingerprints. Damn, isn't that a little weird? Jordan nodded. Are you going to spend the day working on that? Yeah, I'm headed to the forensics to double check and the maybe the autopsy lifted anything. And I'll start doing some interviews with the family and friends. You know, you know how it goes. Then I'll let you go. Jordan nodded. Thank you for the information. Peace out. As mysteriously as he had arrived, Elias was gone. 
Elias DeAngelis had a rather interesting role, acting as an investigator and detective for the police department while being a direct liaison between the police and the prosecutor's office. He handled some police cases, along with special inquiries and inquests made from both sides. Elias was not a renegade, but was bold and stuck to his guts quite often. He had not burned bridges, but had managed to butt heads with a lot of staff members uh, for different reasons. Perhaps his personality came from his nihilistic mother, which he cites partially to his own nihilism, or his environment of growing up in the rural edge of Northern California. Elias DeAngelis and Jordan had become friends over the last couple of years following Elias' arrival from L.A. First off, they had both left L.A. for Cardonia, but they also had similar styles, and while they had shared disagreements over cases, they had never been angry or argumentative with one another. They never pursued a romantic relationship and most likely weren't going to. They were too similar in some ways, which would end up driving them apart if they were a couple. With the manila folder added to her collection of folders, Jordan entered 13B, which was being led by Judge Wendy Billingsham, who was currently looking into the case of The People versus Jeremiah Reslin. I just want to understand more about why you tried to break into your ex-girlfriend's house, Judge Wendy Billingsham questioned. You're already guilty, that's evident. We're here because you're pleading out, but I want to know the truth if that's possible. Jeremiah Reslin and his private attorney had a sidebar for a moment before Jeremiah spoke. She, she, she ghosted me, Judge. We've been dating for months, and then out of nowhere she was gone. But she wasn't gone, Judge. She was just ignoring me, and I, I'd try and talk and call her. I tried to go through her friends, but it, it was like it was like she was gone, gone. I, I go in the dream realm, but I, I never find her. So, I, I just wanted closure, and that's why I tried to climb through the window. Jeremiah went quiet while Wendy Billingsham thought for a moment. We're, we're still not used to technology and the way it just changes things. Wendy sighed. I'm sorry that your ex-girlfriend did that to you, but that doesn't excuse your behavior. You just needed to move on if you couldn't get closure. I have plenty of questions, but I don't break the law to find answers. I'm glad we have decided to settle with the fine and the emotional support group and therapy classes for the next two months. Case adjourned. We'll check in two months from now, okay? Two minutes later, Jordan Furman stood at the prosecutor podium in front of Wendy Billingsham, while public attorney Sandra Passe stood next to her defendant and client, Tony Mortiano. We've reached a plea? Wendy questioned, turning to Jordan. We have, Your Honor. We have agreed to a $500 fine since this is Tony's second offense in the same category. He will avoid jail, although this time it's required to do 40 hours of community service. You will remember that Mr. Mortiano was with us two years previously. He avoided jail time then in lieu of a $250 fine and 20 hours of service. And if he's here for a third time, he'll be forced to face the minimum jail time for a second-degree misdemeanor in the state of California, three months. Mr. Mortiano, I don't want you to show up for a third time. I'm inclined to give you jail time just to make sure that we don't see you for a third strike. My client has no intention of returning to court for a third time, Passe began, although Jordan was borderline ready to cut in. Thankfully, Judge Billingsham stepped in. I'd like to hear that from your own client, the judge demanded. Mr. Mortiano, what are you going to do about your second trespassing charge, and how are we going to keep you from repeating this for a third time? I guess I just have to be better when I go exploring. Mortiana sighed. I don't try and trespass, Judge. Just sometimes I come across some amazing places in the city and suburbs. I just want to be able to see all these places. Is there no other way to see these places? Or maybe another way to curb your adventurism? We have a ton of national parks here in the Northern California, and I'm sure the Dream Realm is filled with tons of places for you to explore. I suppose so, Your Honor. Mortiana nodded. He needs to continue working on his self-control. 
I hope we can link him with a nonprofit which has him working one on one with those who have also lost self control, like an addiction or a drug recovery agency. I think that sounds good, the judge nodded, as did Pesce. What are your thoughts, Mr. Mortiano? Uh, I guess I guess that's what I have to do. I don't hear any remorse, Mr. Mortiano. Because I guess it's hard to be sorry for breaking a law that you don't agree with. For centuries, men and women have disregarded and disagreed with laws, fighting them, changing them. We have laws in the books now that have never been enacted till now, and in some ways we are still feeling the effects of old laws now felt to be unfair or wrong. But what keeps the people strong is that we follow these laws, whether we like it or not. Your right to dislike and protest a law is strong. But if you choose not to follow a law and you get caught, well, that's another cookie. Jordan was wishing Tony Mortiano would shut the hell up so he could finish the proceedings. This case was small bananas considering what was coming up tomorrow. My client understands that he is responsible. Pesce answered to a very skeptical judge, Bill Incham. I think he is aware that he broke the law. I just wonder if he cares. I'm at this point, Your Honor, where I'm happy to see Mr. Mortiano do his community service and pay his fine. If he decides to ignore our warnings, then we can sentence him to the maximum jail time for the third offense. Strong and well put, Mrs. Furman. Judge Billingsham looked at the paperwork. I agree. We really are letting you off the hook for this one, Mr. Mortiano. But considering the company doesn't really mind your trespassing per se, and because you didn't steal anything, we can move forward with the plea. We will see you back here in a month and a half. Let's schedule that now, if you don't mind. After picking a day, the case was dismissed. Passe ended up talking with Tony Mortiano for a bit longer following the trial, while Jordan walked out of the courtroom as fast as she could. Chapter 3 Sun splashed against the Cordonia Justice Center as the evening fell over the city. Fine dining establishments were beginning their dinner rush. Bars were preparing for the weekday evening party, and businesses were shutting down for the day's work to pick up the following morning. Jordan was now on the 15th floor, walking through the back hallways which were used for staff purposes only. It was through these back hallways that one could actually reach the judges' quarters. The back hallways reached around the backside of the four courtrooms, the judges' quarters, all large rooms facing large windows to see the city with. Judge Lynn Rickstrom was a federal judge for the city of Cardonia and the residing county within the city. She was a strong but firm judge, coming off both like a loving mother and a stern mentor. The girls had gone to University of California Berkeley School of Law together and had been in the same class. Both had graduated, and Lynn originally came back to her own hometown at the age of 23. For four years, Lynn worked in the prosecutor's office until she had a heavily supported run for an open position as a federal judge at the age of 27. It was with her transition to judgeship that Lynn reached out to Jordan, pushing her to take the new position. At the time, Jordan had been putting in four years as a prosecutor in Los Angeles and was preparing to quit the job, finding it a bit too stressful. Cardonia would be less chaotic and a change of pace for the girl from Southern California. Girl, come inside. Lynn cried upon seeing Jordan at the door to her office. How was your day? Are you all set for tomorrow? As set as I can be, I think, Jordan retorted. Everything is where it needs to be. I just need to be able to get this chess game going, if that makes sense. You love a good chess game. Lynn smiled, especially when you're able to bring down a killer checkmate to win the game. Lynn Rickstrom and Jordan had been in the same class and the same circuit within law school. The two immediately became study partners and friends. Jordan's sarcastic-edged personality became softened by Lynn's motherly love and wisdom. With a couple other friends, they went out on the weekends to drink away their hard work. Lynn ended up meeting her eventual husband, George, in law school. What sealed that deal was that he was coming to Cardonia to work for a firm. 
They ended up being married shortly before Lynn became a judge. They have two beautiful children, Lindsay and William. In fact, Lynn's life looked really good on paper, an added benefit in the life of being a public elected figure. I think this case is solid, but I'm worried that I'm missing something, especially because the defendant hired Maximilian de Chante. Jesus Christ, how did he afford that? That's a good question, but not as good as the fact that no one up for a murder charge like my client is going to hire Maximilian de Chante unless they believe to be innocent. I mean, de Chante may want the greenbacks, but he's not foolish to take a losing case either. <sighs> I can't tell if de Chante would rather have tens of thousands of dollars or if he'd rather win a case. His ego's out of control. Not just his ego, his whole personality, Lynn, Jordan sighed. People see me and think I'm a total bitch, you know? Like, this woman's creating difficulties in the workplace and takes out her lonely depressions into work aggression. But Maximilian, I don't know what he does to get the jury to love him, but the judge loves him, the goddamn defendant falls from half the time. It's his charm, Lynn sighed. He has such an amazing aura about him. I can totally read through his bullshit, but apparently no one else can. Of course not. Most people don't see the bullshit till someone is Cleveland steamering their face. Jordan laughed out loud and Lynn joined in before continuing. In all seriousness, though, Jordan, you can take out Maximilian and tomorrow you'll hear more about the angle they're going to take in court. Angle? As if the truth had an angle. You know how it goes. It's not about the truth. It's about selling the truth. It's perfect for someone like Duchante. <laughs> So I know this week and next week are going to be busy for you. I get it. But would you like to come over for a family dinner? By family, I just mean George, Lindsay, and Will. Nothing too stressful. And you'll be actually able to eat real food for once. That is tempting. I usually turn to lean cuisine or a frozen meal. We do not freeze food at the Rickstrom household. Lynn proudly stated as if she had won a track meet. I know you want to. You know, well, then I better go if you know. <laughs> yes, you must. Lynn reached across the desk and grabbed Jordan's hands. Now, I did invite someone else to this dinner already. Is it a single straight male? It might be. No, no, no. I do not need to be set up on some pseudo-family dinner. Listen, he's family to me, Lynn sighed. There's no pressure. I'm just saying you might get along with him. To be fair, I get along with every, everyone, anyone. We're pushing a year of you being single. What makes you think I hate being single or that I need a relationship or at least consistent dick to be happy? I mean, are you happy? Pretty happy in general, although this conversation's making me upset. I don't want to upset you. I just, I just want to provide you some options. I'm not saying you need to be married or anything, but... Well, I hope you know I mean well. I just hope you're not still stuck on Hiram. Chapter 4 what brings you here? A younger version of Jordan Furman turned to the direction of the question. She may have moved to Cardonia recently, but some of the last four years of Los Angeles had rubbed off on her. Her asymmetric shortcut, the floral light fabric blouse, the simple jewelry. Girls might think it took Jordan an hour to get ready, but she was off the door in less than 10 minutes. The majority of time spent actually concerned creating the motivation to leave her house. Moving to Cardonia was going to pay off for the 27-year-old Jordan, but she was stuck in the thought that this had been the wrong decision. Maybe it was because it was early on in the move, the fact that she had felt like a goddamn goldfish who had been removed from an aquarium and placed in a bowl. She knew only a few people in Cardonia, and her closest friend in the city had just become a judge and was a newlywed trying to get accustomed to her new life. I'm trying to be social. I just moved to Cardonia. Jordan responded to the man two seats down from her at the bar. The bar, named Ducking Lights, was an establishment only two minutes from her duplex half, 
Ducking Lights was part of a miniature block of mom-and-pop establishments, although perhaps the only one open at 6 in the evening. The theme perhaps came from the lack of true lighting in the establishment, which was truly a hole in the wall with a slick finish. Welcome to Cardonia. I could be your non-mechanical human question and answering machine about the city. Oh, how long have you been here? Came here for college and never left. I know, it's a typical story. What's your name? If I have to hear a typical story, then I should know the average guy telling me the story. It's Hiram. Jesus, it's like your parents wanted to shower you with a trust fund right after you came out. <laughs> Hiram laughed. <laughs> Listen, I know, I know. That's why I usually go by my last name. Yesik. I feel like that's spelled exactly how you said it. You sound like an expert with names, miss. Jordan Furman. Do you have a superhero alter ego with that name? I believe I do. Jordan shrugged as she stuck out her tongue before taking another sip of her whiskey, ginger ale, and grenadine. But she needs a question and answer out the city in order to save the day. You got Moxie, kid. Kid? How old are you? 27. Then I'm not a kid to you. I'm on par. Par? Nice word choice. He must have moved here to become an English teacher with a penchant for golf. Actually, I came to Cardoni to be a superhero for those young girls who want to do golf but feel the societal pressure to do cheerleading. Really? Is there a mass market for that? I don't think there was a mass market for the seventh revamp of the Spider-Man movie series, but you know, I technically worked in LA and at Hollywood, so I can't be positive. You totally do seem like an LA girl. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? The way you said it makes me think it's definitely not good. No, no, it's good. Hiram looked worried that he had offended her, even though Jordan was smiling through the entire exchange. Cardonia women are a lot more mid-tempo. You're a lot to handle. Are you calling me fat? No, definitely not. You just have the best body in the bar, obviously. Good, because I'm the only woman in this bar, unless that man with a bandana has a crop of blonde hair and tits underneath that leather jacket. Trust me, that's a dude. Oh, damn, I forgot most guys are able to spot a girl a mile away. Yeah, it's part of my superhero powers as well. Too bad your superhero powers sound like a felony waiting to happen. Well, do you like bad boys? Eh, I guess I have to like them since I'm the one charging them with crimes. Oh, so you must be a lawyer and still a superhero on the side. Perfect cover for your alter ego. Sadly, the closest thing I have to an alter ego is my drunk self, and I don't think she's coming to Ducking Lights tonight, and I'm actually more so a prosecutor. What's it like being a prosecutor? It's like having to watch piles of shit one after another and decide which piles you're going to let pass and which ones you want to burn off the sidewalk. That doesn't sound enjoyable. Hiram Yesik's face was contorted, no doubt imagining the shit metaphor. Honestly, the metaphor is really graphic, but so am I, and truthfully, I love working in law. I don't imagine myself in any other career path. What got you into being a lawyer? I used to imagine myself as a cop or something to do with law for the longest time. Honestly, I remember running around the house and screaming like the cliche shit, you know, like, hands up. You're under arrest. And I told my parents and siblings what they did, and my siblings got annoyed with it, but my parents loved it. I cooled off after a while, and I remember thinking that I could become a cop. You know, I liked to play sports, I was smart, I was pretty, so I was a triple threat. Problem came when I was in high school playing soccer, you know. I ended up pulling my growing out of the socket, and it took a lot of rehabilitation, but that injury tossed the idea of becoming a cop out the window. I could still run and move, but, you know, can you imagine my groin comes out of my socket again? So, yeah, be a medical emergency. So, instead, the close thing I think I thought I could do was go into law and prosecute the people who, in another life, I'd arrest and ticket. You know, I enjoyed pre-law in college, got into Berkeley's law school, and so here I am now. But you're happy, right? I'm really happy. Jordan smiled. Your turn to talk. 
What do you do and why do you do it? I'm a mental health counselor for Morris Counseling Services. We do drug addiction counseling and therapy sessions. I run group sessions, one-on-one sessions, you name it, I do it. Morris, that sounds familiar. Does the Cordonia Drug Court work with your patients? We do work with their drug court. We counsel a majority of their clients. Small world. Jordan acknowledged with another sip of her drink. So what's the difference between people like us who like to drink and someone who ends up in your office? Dependence, physical need, rock bottom standard, crime connected with drugs and alcohol. Oh good, so I'm not on any of those levels. Is that so? It is, Jordan smiled. I do like drinking, don't get me wrong, my job makes me so uptight and serious, so drinking is a good way to unwind and joke around. You know, when I'm in my 20s, drinking is expected for an American girl like me. You're an American girl, not an American woman. I'll be a woman when I settle down in some arenas. What kind of arenas are those? Well, you know, get a fiancé or a husband, maybe buy a house or have kids, take on responsibility and all the best, you know, all the things that come with that. I, Whatever. You'll get there eventually. Don't rush responsibility, otherwise you might hate the life you have. I know, I'm really happy right now. I mean, I don't know. I, I can't imagine how happy I can become down the line. Maybe it seems impossible. It's possible. You have a lot going for you right now. So much more to find. <laughs> you totally are a counselor. I take the job home with me. So do I. All the good employees do. Can I buy you another drink? Hiram asked, looking at the empty glass in Jordan's hand. I suppose you could, Jordan nodded, as long as you don't mind me ordering some bar food to share. As long as you don't order the chicken tenders. <laughs> I'll let you know when I want to spend money on overpriced food. Jordan winked as she waved the bartender over. Thank you so much for listening. For more podcasts and work done by me, Matt Rebar, check out my website at www.mattrebar.weebly.com. Tweet or Instagram me at Rebstar, H-R-I-B-S-T-A-R. And if you missed it, all 10 episodes of season one, Unconscious, Subconscious, are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and more. Until next time.